And we are back. Dr. Ellen Wall, Ryan Ray, Energy Week Podcast. Dr. Wall, how's it going? Things are good. Hot. It is. It is hot summer time. You know, it's not too bad here in the great state of Texas, but <laughs> we will see. I'm holding my breath. I'm holding <laughs> my breath. So last summer was absolutely brutal. Started in May. So hopefully this year mm. um, we're off to a little bit cooler start and that will continue. You know, I was thinking of you the other day. I read something about battery storage in Texas. I'm trying to remember exactly what it was, but it was basically this idea that like Texas need, someone was arguing that Texas needs to build a lot of battery storage because they have all this wind power and, you know, and I was even wondering, is that even feasible in Texas, given how hot it gets? I mean, how much don't you have, don't you, wouldn't you need air conditioning just to keep the batteries cool enough? Mm. Um, I, I don't know. I was wondering, wondering if you knew anything about that. Yeah. You got in West Texas, it gets hot. So I don't know. I don't know if they could. Yeah. That's a good question. I don't know. I hadn't looked into that. I, I know a few years ago, a group that did a project in like Dubai, I think it was. It was a huge solar project, and the batteries all were ruined within like a year or two. So, yeah. I'm not surprised. It is, oh my God, I've never been so hot in my life as I was in Dubai. Mm-hmm. It was two summers ago. So, it was like right around now. It was like June. And I had to go, um, you know, most things in Dubai are like right on the water, and sometimes you get some breezes, but this was like a little bit inland. And I had to go interview somebody. And it was at his house. Mm. And so there's not like houses in the United States where, you know, there's like a vestibule or you like know it. It's like it's much more, I guess, like Spanish style kind of where there's just like like walls and you ring a doorbell and you just like have to wait outside in the baking sun. It was the middle of the day and I'm wearing like pants and, a, you know, a shirt. I'm not like <laughs> wearing a, you know, linen dress or anything. I'm like mm-hmm. dressed and oh my God, it was, I looked at my phone. I think it was 121 degrees. Oh yeah. that's. I, I thought I was going to melt before they like came to the door to let me in. Oh, that's yeah. Anyway, I've been in people and batteries melting, but not 121. That's, that's brutal. Okay. Yeah. Let's, let's look at let's see your commodities slide as investors bet on economic slowdown in for reference at the time of this recording. This is on Monday, June fifth. Brent's at seventy-seven, WTI's at seventy-two. Both are in the green for now. Um, and we had, of course, uh, an OPEC announcement which came down was that yesterday, this morning. Yeah, I feel like this article was written before they found before things really started. Let's say mm-hmm. five thirty a.m. Mm-hmm. Except that OPEC made its decision yesterday, so. Yeah, mm. Mm-hmm. And so, what do we make of the market response so far? Not up a lot. The OPEC. I mean, yeah, up, up a dollar. Yeah, I mean, I think this morning, this I talked to Bloomberg this morning at seven, and it was up one point nine percent oil. Uh, you know. I'm not surprised. I thought they would get a little bit of a bounce because they technically announced a cut, but it's a Saudi unilateral voluntary cut. And just for the month of July, although it could be extended, um, I think the market is is rather unimpressed with that, especially considering that they've been teasing in across the board cut. Now, it's interesting. 
you have to think about it like, okay, well, is it better for OPEC plus as a whole to say they're going to cut a million barrels a day and they do their whole thing where it's like everyone, you know, everyone cuts by a certain percentage. So everyone's cutting the same percentage, but then you've got countries that aren't actually producing that much. So they don't even have to cut. And so you end up not actually getting a million barrels removed from the market. Or is it better to have Saudi be like, oh, we're just going to cut a million barrels a day. Like, you know, then you actually know that oil will be off the market. Although maybe, so here's the other thing. I didn't, I didn't say this when I was talking on the news about this. So it's, it's another gem. Okay. So Saudi Arabia says we're going to cut production. That doesn't necessarily mean they're going to cut from exports because they can still fill, um, you know, fill orders with, um, oil that they have in storage. So I think Aramco was issuing its OSPs and they're definitely higher. But if we see stronger demand, I bet Aramco is not going to be like, sorry, no oil. I bet they'll fill from um, from storage. Yeah. So... I mean, I, I haven't seen the recent numbers, but to average ninety, we have to we have to get these prices up pretty. Quick. Yeah, we're not going to average ninety. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, come on. I mean, right? like we'd have there'd have to be like a war, or you know, you know, like some sort of like big, you know, something big that takes a lot of oil off the market to actually average ninety. Yeah. I, you know, I get that the Saudis want to like eighty five, but I just it doesn't seem like that's where sentiment is it doesn't seem like that's where the physical market even is i mean saudi's going to end up cutting down to what are they going to be producing only like nine million barrels a day um once they cut and you know the more they go down like we're gonna if, if they keep trying to single-handedly manage this issue with supply by cutting their own supply they're going to wind up in the 19 in, in a 1980s situation again where they just cut and cut and cut and they're not really able to do anything and they end up hurting themselves yeah it, it's interesting because if you keep the million barrels on for a few more months demand summer driving seasons here demand might pick up who knows we'll see Prices trend downward. And if you trend the prices downward to say October, you know, November, they're 50 to 60. Mm. You might see this, the, you know, West Texas Permian stuff plans for next year pull back some, right? And so that's you, big. You could have maybe a, a, a U.S. shale production cut, if you will, by, by trending the prices down, but they don't seem to be interested in doing that, which is, which is interesting because they're taking barrels off the market and the price isn't responding to compensate them. So it's kind of shooting themselves in the foot twice, it seems. Yeah, you know, it was funny. Um, I actually wrote um, I wrote in my um, investing.com column this week. And it's like, here's some potential scenarios for what they could do. Um, a unilateral Saudi cut, I don't think it was one of them, although I did say more voluntary cuts. So I guess that counts. But um, my third uh, thing was, what if they come through with a with a production increase? Mm. Because I, I was thinking, like the way that um, ABS works is like he really wants to surprise people. And what would be more surprising than a price increase? Mm -hmm. 
which might not necessarily serve Saudi interests in having higher prices in the short term. But if you're thinking a little bit longer term, like, okay, flood the market a little bit, it creates a little bit of economic stimulus, right? Lower oil prices is kind of an economic stimulus. It may um, make Russian oil slightly less attractive to some people because they're like, oh, well, I don't have to like buy in this black market when I get oil cheaper. Plus, like you mentioned, if they can get the prices down by October, it could kill some shale plants and um, end up reducing supply a little later on, causing prices to then go up. I don't think they want to like play like that, you know, That's but, you know, that's it's not necessarily a bad move. Yeah, I, I don't I don't know what it's going to take to get the prices up, but if if, if this another million barrel cut doesn't do it, and it, it, as you mentioned, it might not actually turn out to be one. So who knows? But if that you know, if you see this cut through the summer, and the prices don't rebound, at some point we got to start talking about how weak the economy is, right? Yeah, and it's such mixed mixed signals. Like I, I was listening to Bloomberg, and people are like, "Yeah, in a lot of respects, the economy's doing great. Like we're basically like out of recession territory." And then other people are like, "Well, actually, like consumer spending in the you know mid to higher ranges of the you know consumers is actually starting to really take a take a hit." You know people's credit card, you know, stuff is coming back to them and the student loan, people are going to have to start paying back their student loans again. They're saying that, and and a lot of people are saying that the job opportunities in kind of the more like upper part of the economy, not, the, they're like, there's a lot of jobs available in the lower parts of the economy, but not in the like mid-range or professional stuff. And these people are are feeling kind of a crunch. So that can also have an effect you know, consumer wise, uh, on the economy. So, you know, it's, it's really a good question. Is the economy going to get worse? Is it just going to kind of stagnate ish? Are we in a like stagflation kind of area or are we going to see some, some trends upward? I do think though, when it comes to China, which we'll talk about, I guess, probably in, in a little bit that, um, China, if they don't start getting good numbers, they may have to do some kind of stimulus. Mm. Yeah, I mean, if you just if you just took, and I know you can't take a single indicator about the economy, but as we alluded to, a lot of the predictions were ninety, ninety five, maybe a hundred, were twenty dollars off the pace, you know, thirteen dollars off the pace, depending on where the number is, halfway through the year basically, and it's, okay, that that says something, and it's and, you know I don't think it's just that the you know the shell. The shell people are out there just drilling so much to keep the prices mm-hmm. down. We're seeing cuts. You know we're seeing cuts, and so, um, and we've talked with the, uh, you know, the Dallas Fed and whatnot. So it's, it's, uh, it's interesting to see how that that narrative shapes up. On the flip side, the prices being down again should help spur economic growth. You know, right? It should exactly. help recover stuff. I know gasoline prices and diesel prices around here. I think are are coming down and my wife mentioned the other day that she was buying eggs or milk or something. And she was stunned at just how much had come down in the past few weeks or month or whatever it was. So maybe, maybe that would help stimulate it. Yeah. Um, Some needed relief, honestly. Yeah. 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 (laughs) More, more cuts would be better. So, (laughs) 
Okay. Um, let's see here. Do you want to do the one million? We talk about that some, or you want to go to the the um OPEC members clash over quotas? Yeah, we can talk about them at the same time. It's all all the okay. same OPEC meeting. Okay. Yeah. Well, give us your maybe your takeaway then. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because I um we got we got reporting from you know Energy Intel. We got reporting from. The Wall Street Journal. And of course, there was the whole like, you know, drama where OPEC was like, we're not allowing the we're not allowing reporters from Bloomberg, Dow Jones. So that's Wall Street Journal and Reuters into the secretariat. So they're all like, so these guys, you know, they all sent teams to Vienna, but they couldn't go into the secretariat. So they didn't have access to the ministers. Although I'm not sure that anyone really had access like they, I don't think they do the whole like scrum where people like run up into the ministerial like meeting room and they try to like weasel their way in to like ask questions to the ministers. I think they don't really do that anymore. But um, they, but then you don't have any access to the press conference, so you can't ask questions. Um, not that that stopped them from you know doing other reporting and things like that or or trying to talk to ministers outside of the secretariat. But it just seemed to me like. You know, why do you want that to be the story? It's like they don't like what these reporters write about them. So they're just going to like not they're going to just ban them from the building. It just seemed to me like that's not the story you want. And it's not necessarily going to lead to better coverage, uh, keeping certain people out. So I remember when like, I mean, I know Donald Trump did it and that kind of coverage was good from his basis perspective. But there's no like oil base. <laughs> it's not the same thing. They're, they're not running for election. You know, these guys don't have to worry about their positions. So to me, I was I was kind of um, taken aback that like they really wanted to turn that into the story as opposed to what they were trying to do, which was actually they actually had a pretty big um, breakthrough, which was that they redid their baseline quotas to start in 2024. So, you know, how we talk about like, oh, they do this whole cut and then it's, you know, not actually what is on the market. Well, apparently they actually were able to renegotiate some of the baselines. So some countries now have lower production quotas. So they basically were using these baselines from October of 2016 as like, okay, this is the baseline. And then everything is either an increase or a decrease from that baseline. And a lot of countries couldn't, weren't producing at that baseline or they wanted to increase, they increased their production quota. So um, like UAE, they invested and they had more production come on, they had more um, capacity come online and they've been lobbying really hard for an increase. So they kind of, I think um, a bunch of African countries kind of took a hit and UAE ended up getting more and that's going to take effect in 2024. But I think that that will bring a lot of more clarity um, to the market, actually some really needed clarity. Um but it kind of got overshadowed by like Saudi Arabia's one million barrel a day lollipop cut. Um, although according to the Wall Street Journal, there was some big like showdown between Angola and Saudi Arabia over these um, over these quotas. And Angola really did not want to give up. Um, I don't know. Normally, you do not think about Angola being the one to like challenge the Saudis. Normally, it's like Iran or Iraq or Venezuela, not really Venezuela, um, the UAE, you don't think about Angola, but in OPEC, 
everything is done unanimously. It has, there has to be consensus. So any one country does technically have the ability to hold things up. So going back to your point about the coverage and not wanting the reporters in there, I guess the question is, from you said, well, they, they've got something that they want to get out. Um, and I'm sure, like any other organization, they get tired of leaks and stuff being put out of the press they have to respond to. But from the larger standpoint, does it matter the coverage that they get? Because ultimately, isn't it just down to, you know, it's like a sports game. You know, here is the score. Now, you can build a lot of narratives around that and go forth and do that. But what you really want to know is who won and lost. Now that, that, so do they, do they need, they need that, uh, A, and then B, are they kind of maybe trying to whip the reporters in line? Like you're going to tell certain narratives if you want access. I definitely think that that's the, that's their intention is to basically say like, yeah, you got to tell the story the way we want it told in order to get access. Um, I don't think that's going to work. That just makes reporters want even more to be like, screw you. We're going to, you know, get our other sources and we're going to tell an even more sensationalist story. Um, whether or not it's true or whether or not people believe it. It might be true, but people might not believe it. Um, See, I think it... But I don't think... I was just going to say, I don't think that OPEC can ever really improve its image. Like, it's a cartel. It's like, what is it? It's like Congress. Like, everybody hates their... Con every, like, Congress has a perpetual image problem. Like, OPEC is never going to make itself look good. No one is ever going to be like, oh, OPEC. What a great organization, mm -hmm. you know, like this is not like the American Cancer Society or, you know, they're not help or like St. Jude's where they're like helping poor kids with cancer. Like this is an oil cartel. Yeah. See, I think they can not, not change your image, but I think they can probably put more pressure on the reporters than, than maybe you do. And, and, and so I use sports in a, as an example. If you turn on sports reporting, you will watch how they cover athletes. Um, at ESPN or Fox or CBS, and they'll talk about them. They'll be critical, but they'll talk about them in a certain way. If you turn on you know, a random social media YouTube channel talking about sports, then you know, they're kind of just ripping it. I'm not saying that one's right or the other, but the person who's on YouTube or doing a podcast like this has no expectation to interview LeBron James. So mm. they can talk more freely. And that doesn't mean they're right or they're taking the right take, but they can just say whatever they want to without LeBron not giving them access. ESPN has to be careful what it says to LeBron or he cuts them off. Yeah. And so by cutting people off, you do kind of, if they, if they need access for content and the, you know, the wall street journal Reuters, whomever yeah, they do need some of that access. And so I, I think it's an effective strategy. Yeah. I think I, I do agree that if, if they need access for content, so like Bloomberg use um, in recent years did a big like interview with Alexander Novak in the secretariat. And this year CNBC did that interview. So yeah, they, they missed out on that in terms of content, like wall street journal definitely had plenty of content about that OPEC meeting, even if they weren't in the building. So I do think it's like, it's, it's, it, yeah, it depends. Do you need to be able to actually interview these guys for content or is it not necessarily worth it? Right. And if you don't need the interviews, if, if you're, and it's, it's really not even if you need them, it's if your subscribers think that you need them. Right. So yeah. 
if Bloomberg lands a bunch of interviews with OPEC uh, leaders and people leave the Wall Street Journal to go to read Bloomberg, um, yeah, then, that's a problem. If if your readers don't care, then again, it's not a problem. Yeah. So that that would be the thing. If you know, if you're OPEC, then you start trying and you're trying to do the strategy. You try to leverage strategic interviews to get the rest of them in line, and not everyone's not gonna fall in line or do what you want. I'm not saying that, but but you can get a few and you start telling a different narrative. And I, I'm with you. I don't think it's necessarily going to change that much. Um, but if I was them, that's, you know, I was wanting to roll this out. That's what I would do. Um, okay. What other takeaways from hmm. the OPEC meeting? Oh boy. Other takeaways. Um, yeah. I, one of the things that I'm wondering about, so, and actually um, someone, I, when I was, um, listening to what they were saying on, on Bloomberg before I was on this morning, um, someone was saying, basically kind of making the point that you've made about how um, if Saudi Arabia thinks they need a cut to shore up prices because of lagging demand in China, you know, they, they're in a better position to know what's going on there necessarily, or if, if there's a problem with demand than other people are. And so, so they're kind of saying like, well, what is it that OPEC knows that we don't? Um, and I think that's a really good, good point. Um, does OPEC know something about what's going on with China that the rest of us don't, uh, especially the Saudis? And then the other thing that I was wondering is if this one month Saudi lollipop cut for July is kind of actually more like a gift to Russia, because Russia is supposed to be cutting 500,000 barrels a day. And it's kind of, um, uh, there, there's some, um, question question it's questionable whether whether russia is actually doing this is, is actually conforming so are they actually cutting uh what they said they were going to cut because exports have been really high and um you know unless they're cutting from their domestic stuff it looks like they're not actually cutting um and so i'm wondering if this is kind of like a gift that you're saying like okay russia we're we're doing it now but like so you got like another month to get yourself straight straightened out in terms of like, you know, your oil production, but we want to see those those cuts. On the other hand, maybe it's not because Russia's cuts are all voluntary anyway. So, you know, there's no pressure to actually do come through. What's the likelihood that Russia is selling oil to China without the Saudis knowing about it? Um, I think the Saudis probably have a very good idea of what's going where. Although my guess is that like maybe some of the ta tanker tracking services know better. Um, I mean, I think the Saudis have a very good handle on oil sales to China. I don't think that they're all that concerned about their so-called market share in China. They just signed a bunch of JV contracts that are going to increase their sales to China by almost a million dollars over the next few years. I'm sorry, a million barrels a day by, uh, over the next few years. So, you know, they've got that locked up. I don't think that they're all that concerned about the amount of like cheap Urals blend that Russia is selling to China. It doesn't... I mean, maybe it's like impacted them a little because they're not selling those spot cargos, but they can make money plenty. Of, I, I don't think they're concerned because those spot cargos can go to Europe and they can make plenty of money, probably even more selling to Europe. Okay. All right. Speaking of China, I think it's our last piece of the day. China is drilling a 10,000 meter deep hole into the earth, which is 32,808 feet for any country who's landed on the moon, you need that translation there. Um, okay, Dr. Wald, what? Um, <laughs> that's a deep hole, just to be clear. Like, that's really deep. Huh. That's really yeah, deep. What is going 
going on there? I, I I don't know. I mean, I'm kind of, I was interested as to why there's a big picture of an oil derrick with this. Um, they claim that this is an ultra deep oil and gas area mm -hmm. um, with reserves of a hundred billion tons, mm -hmm. I guess, or no, or this is, sorry, no, this is a picture of an oil field with that. Um, yeah. Like what's going on? Are they trying, you know, like people used to go to the beach and they're like, Oh, are you digging a hole to China? trying to digging a hole you know i mean what's what's going on is it just did you really think is it what are the chances that this is just uh, a scientific project to provide quote data on the earth's internal structure and also test deep underground billet drilling technologies like what do you think is this really just to like test drilling technologies i'm trying to look up we looked at um a project years ago um somewhere around Mississippi and Louisiana kind of meet in the boot of Louisiana. And I want to say, I can't find the name of the little play it was called. I want to say that was like a 23,000-foot drill or 28,000-foot drill. It was pretty deep. And prices didn't sustain it, so it didn't matter. And so it says it's going to take 457 days to drill. I mean, come on, is this like cover for something military? Are they going to build like a secret underground, you know, nuclear missile facility? Or is this really just a big I, hole in the ground? I mean, okay. Well, okay. So you drill for 457 days. So, you know, over a year to drill this thing. The amount of oil that you'd have to bring out would be substantial to recoup your cost. Because this is going to be. Super expensive, super. I mean, I, so I don't, yeah, I'm like, I'm like you, I don't understand. And what's weird is it's not, it's not like it's some kind of, okay, it's probably is a little bit of propaganda always, but it's not the deepest hole in the world. So it's not as if they're trying to, you know, claim some kind of mantle that they've, you know, beat other countries. So yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't understand this. I don't, I, think, I don't know. What would you, I, maybe what, there's something, maybe there's something better down there. I mean, they want to identify thermal. mineral, mineral and energy. What other mineral? Maybe there's some like maybe there's like an underground like lithium mine. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gracious! I mean, yeah, I, I have no idea what you would do with this. The cost, the, the you know, and then to keep the whole functioning and all that stuff. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. It's got to be propaganda, huh? Like this, and they're not doing it, or they're just doing it to be like, we drilled a really deep hole. We, we drilled, we've studied, we've mastered, we've learned. There was some really bad, um, you know, those like disaster movies. It was like a really bad movie where they had to like go into the center of the earth and like cheat, like the earth's core was going to like stop turning. Oh, God. What was this movie? Um, is it called the core? Maybe. <laughs> oh, it was. It was. Yeah, this is it. The core. Okay, don't ask me why. It was a two thousand and three American science fiction disaster film. Hilary Swank, Stanley Tucci were in it. Those and Alfred Woodard. Wow, that's a good cast. Yeah, I mean there are other others too, but um, okay. Um. The film focuses on a team whose mission is to drill to the center of the Earth and set off a series of nuclear explosions in order to restart the rotation of the Earth's core. 
Is that what they're doing? Should we be worried that China's going to like stop the this, this, earth from moving? Uh, so this field that they're drilling in, they've been drilling in since the eighties, I think. So it's not like it's a new. Yeah, they'd be in the eighties, so it's not a new field. But it, it accounts for 60% of their onshore ultra-deep oil and gas reserves and 19% of the global total. So, Anyway, I think we should keep an eye on it. I bet you can see it from space, <laughs> like on a satellite. I think we should keep an, eye, keep, keep an eye on this giant hole. Maybe they needed to bury, like, more COVID bodies. What would it take for you to go down into a hole like that? I'd have to be like engaging in a super like important mission to restart the Earth's <laughs> rotation of the Earth's core. I'd have to be sedated. That's, that's, that's yeah, this, this sedated. I mean, if someone, if it maybe, you know, what was that um, hyperloop? Oh, yeah. If it's like a new kind of hyperloop. Yeah. I mean, the pressure's got to be insane. Yeah. Well, if they want to anyway. send them, you can go. I'll, I'll, I'll pass on that one. So. All right. All right, Dr. Wald, where will, we, we won't be here next week, but where will we be between now and then? Let's see. I will be on Bloomberg Radio. That's uh, later in the day on Monday. So I guess it's, uh, this won't be out till after then. But um, And I'll be on investing.com, probably discussing the implications of the OPEC meeting uh, with Colin there. And uh, just to let the listeners know, that on Friday, I had a piece published in a new publication called The Messenger. Um, the piece was about methane regulations uh, in, in the U.S. So uh, I will put the link in the show notes. All right. I will be on inside the war room. I'm not sure what we have this week, but we have something. We've got a bunch of them. So uh, what was today's pronounce? been one of those days but anyways i will be there and we'll, we will be back in two weeks see you then